everybody, and welcome to the 316th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that snorts halo lines while dodging banhammer mines. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by mtgprice.com, which is the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what do we have on the agenda this week? This week we've got our usual four segments. We're going to start off by talking about the Week in Review online. We've got a Modern Challenge and a Pioneer Challenge to talk about. Then we're going to get into some of the top movers this week, both online and in paper. You and I, in segment three, have some uh, interesting picks we're going to talk about. And then finally, we're going to get into a little bit of what went on with the uh, announcement last week with the arena economy and dusting. And we I can't wait to spend $50 on, uh, what, 12 wild cards? Oh, I can't wait. No, it's 16. 16 wild cards, my bad. We'll jump into the modern challenge from March 20th of 2022. Looking at this top eight, this looks a lot like what my mild concern about the Luris ban would lead to. And if every week looked like this, I would double back on that Luris conversation and say that I think it was not necessarily a mistake, but not as clearly beneficial as, as people had hoped. You know what's absent in this top eight almost entirely? Aggro. No Hammer Time. No Red Prowess. No Death none Shadow. The, n- none of the decks that used Lurus. And I don't... I, I, I buy the argument that removing Lurus opens up a world of three and four casting cost spells that can be more... Um, are more likely to get played and provides some diversity in the format. But if Lurus was the linchpin to allowing aggro decks to compete against the rest of this field, then I think an argument can be made that whether or not you need Lurus, you are going to need things to put aggro back on the map. Now, this is just one challenge. So we've got, you know, weeks and months ahead of us to further analyze that. But that's what jumps out at me. Leading this one off, we had in first place Blue-White Control featuring one Wandering Emperor. Uh, from Neon Dynasty, three March of Otherworldly Light, and one Ottawara, all in the Yo cards. Shardless Rhinos in second place, three Blood Moon, one Viseju, and two Ottawara. Blue Red Murktide in third. Yogmoth Combo in fourth, uh, featuring one bus- copy of Buseju. Living End, uh, running two Ottawara and two Colossal Sky Turtle. Dredge in sixth. Amulet Titan in seventh, running a copy of Buseju. And then the most interesting deck in this top eight by far is a ver- variant of tight uh, of Amulet Titan that isn't running the amulets. It's more of a scapeshift Titan build. 
and it features four Renin Six, four Hidetsugu Consumes All, and one Kura the Boundless Sky out of Neon Dynasty. Pretty surprised to see that card in play in Modern. I mean, what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, we weren't sure if Hidetsugu Consumes All had a place um, even around Luris, and now with Luris gone and all the uh a lot of the action for it being gone hitigetsu consumes all you know it, it's the saga that destroys for one black red it destroys each non-land permanent with mana value one or less step two exile all graveyards and then it flips into a three three that uh, i forget what it does when you flip it um it can it gets bigger based on damage dealt to the opponent or something oh right whenever it hits somebody it gets bigger which is you know a lot of good stuff for three mana but the question was always how much is it going to kill on the front side and you know it gets all the tokens it gets all the baubles it gets yeah it gets death shadow and things that are hammer time and and prowess etc and now it just looks kind of sad well i wouldn't say it i wouldn't say it look i wouldn't say it looks sad because it's not like this we we know that this field didn't have all the aggro decks we just know they didn't make top eight so it's entirely possible that consumes all did a ton of work on the way to this top eight and that's how this this deck ended up in the top eight um because there were certainly Hammer Time and Death Shadow pilots out there, but they were running into this deck being able to manage the early game to stay alive. They were also running two Lightning Bolts, for instance. And Renin Six also does a pretty good job of pinging off Ragavans and DRCs and, and Esper Sentinels and so forth. And then in their late game, the Kura is actually cute because you can go get Valakuts, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can start stacking Valakut triggers. Um, and of course, Dryad of the Elysian Grove in these decks lets you play uh, an additional land on each turn, so you can drop two, two Valakuts uh, off the Kura, and it gives you some insulation if they manage to uh, get rid of a Primeval Titan and then use one of the black cards that goes and gets all the other copies out of your deck and, and exiles them, right? Yeah. Also, uh, this is a Wish deck. It's running two copies of Wish. And has, like, the sideboard with, you know, there's not a lot of singletons, but there is a Boseju in the sideboard. You got your one scape, one extra scape shift to go find, Cavern, your Engineered Explosives, a Fatal Push, your Veil of Summer. All those good things, like, I love me a good Wish deck, and uh, this is just like, let's go. Let's build the sideboard and, and have a good time. So one of the things that we were discussing in the ProTrader Discord this week and that I provided some detailed notes on was that there's a fairly large price gap between both the regular pack foil and fancy versions of Boseju and Ottawara. And I had selected Ottawara uh, foil borderless, I believe, not too long ago uh, on the, on that same basis that there was, it looked like Ottawara was going to see a significant amount of play compared to Baseju. And as it turns out, Ottawara's overall play pattern across modern Pioneer, Standard, and EDH is not far off Baseju, but the price gap is quite large. Uh, So for instance, uh, if we're looking at uh, some of the fancy versions, uh, if we look at Baseju, Foil Borderless is $88 and and Foil Extended Art is $43. Whereas with Ottawara, Foil Borderless is $30 and Foil Extended Art is $17. But the, the overall play pattern, for instance, on EDH rec stats, you're looking at 9,500 decks for Baseju and 35% of all green decks. Those are massive, massive stats. Like, that is a true S-tier staple. 
Um, but Ottawara is also an S-tier stable, just less so. 7,800 decks, 23% of all blue decks, is still very massive. And the key t- takeaway there, I think, is that, first of all, all five of the lands are seeing reasonable amounts of play. Uh, Takanuma and Aganjo are not far behind. I'm running a single copy of Aganjo in my Esper Angels deck in Historic, and I've been very happy with it. Um, and even Sokanzen is is seeing reasonable play. So all of the fancy versions, I think, and probably pack versions, are going to follow, I, I suspect, similar trend lines to the Eldraine castles. Uh, and so I think your focus on Ottawara provides the best value right now. But I would imagine that, you know, if Beseju shows some weakness heading into summer and finally gets below 20, that'll probably be a buy as well. Uh, and... Bottom line, if we're looking at this top eight, you've got three, five Ottawara, and three Basaji. So I mean, the numbers are hard to argue with. I mean, again, it's only a single top eight, and it doesn't represent the entire field. Um, and I think across the entire field for this tournament, Basaji was probably still uh, played at a higher level. But we don't know that for sure because we don't have that data in front of us. Um, so just something I'm keeping an eye on and certainly looking to pick up more versions of Ottawara as things progress here. Now, we decided to also look at a Pioneer Challenge for once this week because there is an organized play announcement coming up in a week or so where Huey uh, is going to be sharing with the community what Wizards' plans are for organized play for the rest of the year. Uh, frankly, I think it's counting chickens before they're hatched, given where we're at with COVID, where everybody seems intent on just ignoring it and trying to reopen uh, immediately. But all of the stats coming out of Europe, um, based on their earlier reopenings a few weeks back, are looking quite terrifying. So I think there's a pretty decent chance that big tournaments could get uh, shut down later this year if things get especially heated with uh, COVID hospitalizations and deaths and so forth. But we'll see how it plays out. I mean, there's not a lot of political willpower left on that side of things. That being said, whether or not WotC directly supports big tournaments this year, there are still plenty of operators in key markets that are uh, expanding their tournament uh, offerings. And SEG just won a very, uh, or ran a very successful tournament just this weekend. Um, that where they had to add additional modern tournaments because they had underestimated how many people would show up. Yeah, and the command so, zone too, they posted about they had to expand the command zone once or twice. Yeah. So I think there, there will be more Pioneer getting played. And even though EDH is almost certainly the driving force behind most of Magic uh, speculation and price advancement, there will still be standard Pioneer and modern cards that are going to get a boost from the onset of additional organized play opportunities. So... Let's take a look at Pioneer. In the top eight of this Pioneer Challenge on March 20th, we have Rakdo Sacrifice uh, featuring two Meat Hook Massacre, Cat Oven Combo, etc. Uh, in first place, we have Blue Red Phoenix with one Ottawara and four Phoenixes in both second and seventh. We have Lotus Field Combo in third. They're running two Ottawara and two Paseju. <clears throat> Black Red Midrange has some vampire elements, but a pretty midrangey, grindy deck. <clears throat> running two of the Chandra, the four mana Chandra. Um, name is Torch of Defiance? Me. Yeah, Torch of Defiance. One Soren the Mirthless, three Coligan's Command, and two Den of the Bugbear, a land that you see quite a lot of in this format. 
There's a burn list in fifth with four Chandra dressed to kill, uh, the three mana Chandra from this fall, and then a black red Fable of the Mirror Breaker deck that tries to get the uh, Mirror Breaker adjunct flipped and then start copying things like Croxa, etc. Uh, they're also running two Den of the Bugbear. And then a Naya Fable uh, of the Mirror Breaker list with four Winota, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and four Eskiot uh, Chariot. Um, that looked pretty interesting to me. Uh, you know, I like that these decks, there's not really a I win combo with the Mirror Breaker. They're just trying to play it for ridiculous value. value. Yeah. Like, uh, they're trying to copy um, Tobalar's Huntmaster, for instance. Like, heaven help you if your opponent, like, has the Fable, drops this. Like, now you're facing down uh, two six sixes and, like, 38 tokens. I don't know. There's too much math. But, um, you know, these, these aren't I win Mirror Breaker decks. These are I'm going to win in two turns because you can't do anything about the amount of advantage value and value I'm, I'm acquiring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, combining and, it with Winota, that's just mean. Well, and out of the sideboard, they can pull in Skyclave Apparitions or Elite Spellbinders. Spellbinder has a, like, severe chilling effect, the attacking multiple cards. You know, play a Spellbinder or Fable the, the Spellbinder and tax another card so that you've you've done a fairly effective job of slowing your opponent down and giving you time to get in for the requisite damage. And then doing that with, you know, like, crewing Chariot and then copying Chariot. <laughs> is pretty nasty. Oh, I didn't even see that because you're right. You make a copy with the with the fable and then you use the chariot to copy the oh man. And and in, and keep in mind in historic they have fixed chariot so that it only makes one green cat 2/2. Two, two. I just played against it earlier today. But in paper it's still just as busted as it was before. Makes two makes two cats and can immediately uh, go to town. So, yeah, there's Fable and Chariot is pretty nasty. That is spicy. I like that. Remember when Pioneer was cool? Like, right before the pandemic, everybody was just like, look at this neat Pioneer deck that's going on. Well, it's funny to me that a lot of the thing, other than Phoenix and Lotus Field, most of what else is going on here has nothing to do with the specs people thought were a big deal in October of 2019 or whatever. Well, that was two whole years ago, buddy. Like, let's mm. let's be kind to our 20, 2020, sense. sorry, not 2019. Uh, yeah, but bottom line, like, all the, the much ado about nothing with people knowing early about Pioneer, right? Like, there, right. there may, may have been an early opportunity to flip some stuff, but a lot of it didn't work out, and, and then COVID hit, and the rest of it just never had a chance to get off the ground. Now it's all Commander all the time, like you said. All right, so moving on over to Top Paper Movers of the Week. Uh, eyes on Urza, Lord High, Artificer copies at a Modern Horizons 1. We had multiple Discord members reporting uh, sales this week. And indeed, the regular copies from the original printing going from 58 to 72, that's 24% gains. That's Modern, that's EDH, that's the Brothers War forthcoming. Uh, I think I recommended Urza OBFs last week to go 90 to 150, and those are drying up. Um, so not, not tremendously surprised to see movement there. We have Verduran Enchantress at 8th edition, non-foil copies, going from 4 to $6. That's going to be Ghost Shintai and Sithis. Uh, see a ton of Sithis-related uh, decks in Historic on Arena, so there are plenty of players with, with those related cards on their mind. 
Herald of the Pantheon is also a Goshintai slash Sithis card. Those went from that set of origins went from five dollars to seven fifty for fifty percent gains. Likewise, I mean, there's so many good things that you can do with all of these cards that you know you you just can't stop yourself. And the fact that we have two amazing commanders to build around is uh, I'm trying to I was trying to think of this earlier. Like Goshintai uh, is a new one. Sithis has been around. For for the since modern horizons 2 like we have two things that really want to do the same thing and it's really evident every week there's a, a new thing that people are like oh my god i forgot how good this is yeah and, and sithis slides right into the goshen tide deck of course right um, so and it's even an enchantment the, the crazy thing about all the enchantress cards is they they often give you the benefit off cast so it doesn't even matter if you counter or counter them or destroy yeah. the permanent afterwards you they often get get their value right up front Love it. Love it all. What else do we have here? Uh, next up was Striped Riverwinder from Hour of Destruction, right? This is the Cyclone Hour of Hour of Devastation. Dest- I'm sorry, Hour of Devastation. Uh, foils have gone from about 12 to 20 on the back of Living End decks that are looking to cycle these away for one mana and then re- get them out there with Living End, which is just uh, far too much fun if you've never done that. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive because that's a foil common. From Hour of De- Devastation. Without looking, what year was that? Uh, five years ago? Yeah, it's Foil Common from five years ago. Who keeps Foil Commons for five years? Well, I mean, that's not the issue. It's, the issue is that it's never been reprinted anywhere. And that's still a very impressive gap, because non-Foil copies of this card are 50 cents. So for to be looking at Foils uh, at $20, you're talking about a 40 times multiplier on the Foils? And you're buying them by the playset. Yep. Every time. Uh, next up, we have Minamo, the school at Water's Edge. The original uh, champions of Kamigawa foils have gone from about 52 to 88. Uh, there's weren't a lot of these in circulation. just takes a couple sales to move the numbers. It is in 17,000 commander decks online. And uh, it is worth mentioning, too, that the um, mystery booster foils are available for... 20 range if i looked earlier and remember correctly but they're they're down to nine listings are they really i hadn't noticed that part i i would imagine these should be added as an honorary selection this week we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna list we don't have a pro trader selection so we're just gonna put bonus and along the way here i'm going to fill this out because there are you only have two printings in foil. The mystery booster version is not a full printing. If you don't see another full printing of this card anywhere this year, then this these foils from the mystery boosters are going to go from 23 to, 22 to 24 to 40 plus easy, given where the CHK copies already are. Yeah, you're right. Uh, there's one person who's got 17 copies at 25 on the mystery booster, and then that's it. You know, you've got ones and twos uh, all at 25 or less. And if these are hitting 80, you know, I've, I've written a couple of times uh, articles about how much a symbol is worth to people. And if that little Planeswalker symbol is worth, you know, $60, $80 to you, uh, you, you get down with your bad self. Because <laughs> most of us are just happy with having it be shiny. Alrighty, what else do we have on here? Uh, next up, we have Ancestral Knowledge, the uh, 
Reserve list card out of Weatherlight has gone from eight to fifteen. There's, you know, this is the representative for the reserve list this week. To have a this is this is the time of year we usually see some reserve list stuff start to some, pop off. Some tax returns coming in. People are like, I'm going to get all of this card, and uh, I will forever remember the the show where Narwhal was the example. So you know, sometimes these are going to go up for some kind of reason. And sometimes they're going to go up because there were three available and somebody bought all three. Yeah, I sold a few different reserve list cards this week. I sold a Survival of the Fittest Japanese MP copy at like 160 Yeah, but that's a card my... with actual demand. Like, it's it's an amazing card. It's a combo enabler. Like, that's not... Ancestral Knowledge is the crazy... If I'm remembering it right... Uh... Yeah, I'm remembering it right. It's the Let's you stack your deck. Yeah. And you gotta pay some cumulative upkeep. And then yeah, your top ten. And when it leaves play, you shuffle it up. So uh all of your work went for nothing, you don't even draw a card. Uh what was next? Mistblade Shinobi out of Plane Chase Anthologies going from two fifty to five dollars, basically doubling up on the back of Ninja EDH demand. Pact of Negation, Future Sight, Original Foils, going 120 to 260. That's uh, original printing uh, of a card that sees a, a strong amount of EDH play and occasionally shows up in modern decks. Uh, I think Living End and other combo builds tend to run the Pact so that they can be protected during the turn they combo off. Selvala Explorer Returned, Conspiracy Foils. It's only ever had a single foil printing, and that was six years ago. It's only in 6900 EDH rack, which is medium decent um but didn't stop the foils from going from 50 or so to over 110 for 110 percent plus gains we've got anthem of rakdos at a dissension foils going from 250 to 650 that's definitely an ishin related play and i wouldn't want to be super deep there but you might be able to snap off one or two copies locally and flip them online for significant profit and then likewise, Launch the Fleet Foils out of uh, Journey into Nyx went from $1 to $3. Going to be tough to make money on that kind of thing unless the buy list support gets there, but that's a Hanada play because you can uh, multicast, it, it, yeah. multicast it and make a whole bunch of tokens. You know, everything with uh, X and it says have X targets is just a freebie with Hanada, and we're going to see a card like that pop up. Probably until the next batch of Commander decks comes out. Make sure you run your failed spec Battlefield Thaumaturgist in your uh, Hanada build, because it does a lot of work there. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting deep there. I like it. I like it. All right, moving on over to top Magic Online movers of the week. We've got Brutal Cathar out of Midnight Hunt, going from five tickets to about seven and a half on the back of Pioneer and Standard Play. Graveyard Trespasser, likewise, also at a Midnight Hunt, just under two tickets to three and a half uh, on the back, again, of Pioneer and Standard Play. Alpine Moon is seeing play in both Pioneer and Modern and went from two tickets to almost four for 100% gains. And then Castle Lockthwain was the big winner of the week, going from 3.5 tickets to 8.5, 140% gains on the back of both Pioneer and Standard Play, and it shows up in occasional Modern decks. It's also a big EDH card. It's a it's a great EDH card, and you know the castles are just always going to be good. And the over under for secret lair castles is probably a year and a half, but that doesn't really matter as much online. I'm curious which castle. I haven't looked at Eldraine stats on EDH Rec lately. I'm imagining the blue castle is probably the most played. 
Uh, no, actually, it's, I'm wrong. It's Castle Lockwain. Castle Lockwain is in 43,000 decks versus 39,000 for Castle of Antris. Uh, 9% of all black decks for Lockwain and 8% of all decks for Vantress. That sounds about right. Very, very good stats. And then Castle Garenbrig is slightly behind both at 35,000 decks, 7% of all. Look, if I can cast my... Uh, I talked to my table about the Primeval Titan one turn early... That's definitely going to make some friends, okay? Definitely. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. All right, so moving on over to cards to watch this week. I'm going to start off with my most controversial pick. How about <laughs> Memory Deluge Foil Extended Art? Now, you might look at this and think, well, this is just kind of a mid-rangey um card draw engine better and standard than it ever will be in modern and edh and indeed it's only in 2300 edh decks so far and i think that that is probably the biggest strike against it is that it doesn't have uh, massive edh support given that that format has so many ways of drawing cards and achieving card selection because it has the full catalog of options available um, to pilots when they are figuring out what how to pull their decks together However, the, the sales stats look pretty good. There's only 32 listings of these left. They're sitting in and around $10, $11, $12, which is about where you want to pick up foil, uh, well, like high play pattern foil extended art rares have often been good buys in the like $6 to $12 range. And this sees enough play in Pioneer and modern control builds where they often are running two or three copies, that it leads me to believe that these are, in fact, going to drain out up the curve and go from some do something modest, like go from $11 to $22 over the course of about 12 months. So uh, I have questions, as you may imagine. Uh, let's start with, like, what, what are you... Do you have a comparison for this card? Because I, I see the numbers and I see what's available and I'm pretty hesitant that i would put any money in on this right now like is there a card you're comparing it to that you see a a similar growth pattern to like is it is it triggering some memory of another card that you like it's not triggering a memory of another card so much as i i know that you can make money on foil extended art rares in and around this price point if they're in this kind of scenario where okay. the the inventory is largely drained out that's not a set anybody's cracking anytime soon so uh, inventory increase of CBs from this set is very unlikely um, this spring. And it's seeing it, it has earned and held consistent play in the control decks since release. You, you know, like, for instance, in Blue-White Control, which just won the challenge we were looking at, they're typically running two copies of it. And that's alongside four opt and four Archmage's Charm, and a smattering of Teferis as their card draw engines. And I've been playing Memory Deluge all week in my Esper Angels deck. I think I've got 50 or 60 matches in this week on uh, Arena Historic, because I decided to dive in on Constructed on Arena just to get a better sense of how that economy functions outside of Limited. And Memory Deluge is very, very good. Like, if they thought sees it and put it in your graveyard, you're going to cast it later for seven. So. I mean, I like the optimism there. Uh, you know, this feels like uh, something where if you think it'll get there, it just might. Um, I'm just, 
I, I I'm real hesitant on this one, James. I, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Like I don't I don't think this would be something where I'm I'm eager to put down uh, a lot of money for or a lot of you know um, spec room in the spec box for something like this where um, the commander demand isn't there and I don't see this having a home long term any place really besides Pioneer. And and so I'm I'm waiting for Pioneer to be a thing before I get in on it so here's here's one way to deflate the spec uh-huh take a look at another card that does have the edh demand uh and is played in the same decks okay and so for instance we could look at march of otherworldly light showcase foils sure uh if we look at those you know neon dynasty is a younger set so it's these probably have uh room to drift down a bit but if we're looking at them so far they've been trending upward and they're available currently at 38 listings as opposed to 32 for memory deluge and sitting at about 15 or 16 dollars headed for 30 plus and it does have the edh demand because if we look at the uh, neon dynasty stats for edh rec and scope out how march is doing over there well, actually march is not doing all that well in EDH either. However, uh, let me just see if I can track down the, the stats for it. I will say, though, that even if March isn't doing that well, yeah, they're only in 670 decks, 2% of white decks. So it's actually not doing as well as Deluge, uh, at least so far. But I suspect it ends up, once you sync the timelines, it probably ends up in a fairly similar position for EDH. Keep in mind, in EDH, you've got Swords to Plowshares and a million other things um, right. to take care of, to, to exile if you need to. Um, but March is seeing broader play overall in Standard Pioneer and Modern than I would agree Memory, with that. De- Memory Deluge. So if you're skeptical of the Memory Deluge pick, maybe take a look at March. All right. I can, I can get on board with that plan. All right. So what's your first selection? Uh, my first uh, pick this week is Fractured Identity, the uh, Commander 17 card that uh, got reprinted in a Secret Lair not too long ago, and it's finally landed on TCG Player. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of listings for it right now because uh, the Secret Lair has landed. You can get uh, foil copies of Fractured Identity in the uh, Mystic Archive frame for about $8. And uh, while there's only about 5,000 Commander decks that have put this card down since Commander 2017 came out, I think that's more a supply issue because people, like, if you bought the blue-white deck, you're like, this card's amazing, and you're going to play with this card. So the Secret Lair being at, at maximum supply has me wanting to uh, pick up a few of these copies for them to go into the 20 range being the, the foil that it is and something that, you know, is first pick worthy in something like a Vintage Cube. Uh, that's a that's a powerful card that I don't want to overlook and undervalue. Funny thing is, I don't think Fractured Identity is any better of an EDH card than Memory Deluge, and doesn't have the constructed support that Memory Deluge has because it is a it's not legal in those formats. Right. Um, however, I think this is still a supply side play because, as we know, with something like Midnight Hunt uh, CBs, there's no guarantee that the gaming company isn't going to unleash another uh, array of inventory via a mass crack job sometimes this spring, despite my belief that they probably won't. 
given where the EV is at for those boxes. But fractured identity is virtually impossible to end up with a ton more inventory on, C on TCG player, etc., because it's a secret layer and it's in the rear view mirror. So it's only, these got down to, they've been as low as seven. Now they're drifting up towards eight, 33 listings left. So pretty similar to the memory deluge, but with lower chance of resupply. There are some decent sized walls here because they're, it's a secret layer. So there is one vendor that has 32 copies, another vendor that has 29, and those are going to need to be worked through. But I think if you're calling this to go 8 to 20, I'm a little skeptical. If you're calling it to go 8 to 15, I think it's more likely to get there. All right. I can... I'll change that right now, 8 to 15. I'm happy on a 78% uh, up. That'll be fine in my book. But minus shipping and fees, as I'm sure the pro traders will be happy to point out to us. Always true. Tell me about your next one, because I'm, I'm a big fan here. Just one thing I want to check on the on the fractured identity, actually, is what is Card Kingdom offering um, on their buy list? Because typically they're not going to see a ton of this stuff come in. Currently the foils, they're offering less than the non-foils. So the non-foil fractured identity, they're offering 8 cash, 1040 credit versus 640 uh, on the foils, which translates to 832 in credit. It could be that someone just sent them a bunch of foils, so their their buy list has dropped. Or it could be that the non-foils are selling better than the foils because people fear the curling of secret layer foils. And so Card Kingdom thinks the sales velocity is better on the non-foils, in which case people might want to take a look at the non-foils as their target here instead of the foils. I mean, one day I've got to sit down and look at all of the foil versus non-foil secret layers and figure out, like, what to do about that. I realize that the the level one uh, application is just like, people love foils, so buy foils. And, uh, on those, like, on this most recent secret layer, I did a little hedging. I went in on uh, Street Fighter and the Chibi Walkers, and I did mostly foil, but I also did a few non-foil because I want to cover those bets you know and if people aren't buying the non-foils then that's really what you want to get well there is straight arbitrage available here on the non-foil fractured identities because there's one vendor on tcg player that has three copies at six dollars and 79 cent total shipping versus the eight dollars cash ck is offering <laughs> just put down the buy list as the shipping address you're sold so I think it's pretty reasonable for you to actually switch your pick here to non-foil over foil and just be in a safer position. I like shiny things, though, James. All right. Don't take, your don't call. take that away from me. Your call. All right. Uh, my my next selection is Vanquisher's Banner, OBF at a Times Bio Remastered. Our long-departed co-host, Travis Allen, was very skeptical of OBFs, but they will continue to pop off. Uh, his opinions notwithstanding. The Vanquisher's Banner is a pretty uh, big-time EDH super staple, 43,000 decks on EDH Rex since it was originally released in Ixalan. Now we are looking in, le you know, I guess it's about a year since Time Spiral Remastered. Uh, we're almost, almost close to a year since release. Um, and there are only 15 listings left for Vanquisher's Banner OBFs. 
Keep in mind that this is a tribal-oriented card. When it enters the battlefield for five mana as an artifact, you choose a creature type. Creatures you control of the chosen type get plus one, plus one. And whenever you cast a creature spell of the chosen type, you draw a card. So all of the werewolf, zombie, ninja, vampire, dragon, uh, dragon, etc. decks that got built this year, a lot of them want this card. Um, because it both makes creatures bigger and acts as a card draw engine. So, not super surprised to see this on the move. And you can basically pick up copies around $35 right now. I think they're going to go $35 to $65 within the year, uh, given how low uh, the number of listings on TCG is, the inability of anybody to restock Times Bio Remastered OBFs. Um, keep in mind, you only get one of these in foil every 27 packs. Not, and not to this card any for OBF at a time spot remastered. So you have to open a lot of boxes to find one of these. And that means that once they drain out, they're just going to be expensive for ages. This is a, a slam dunk. If you haven't gotten your copy under like $40, get your copy uh, sometime very soon because you are not going to have much of an opportunity for it for very long. And uh, this is the sweetest version you can get. And uh, just... A winner all around. This is this is great, and this is why you want to listen to this uh, first, so that you can be the one to get the one copy that's under uh, thirty on TCG Player right now. Like, good luck. Wait, no, it's not under thirty. It's like thirty-two. So anyway, you can get there, and this is going to go up. And thank us later because tribal decks are amazing, and everybody loves tribal decks. Even and even if you're not a speculator slash vendor, you're just a collector slash player. This is one of those specs, the best kind of specs for that kind of person. You can buy one copy, throw it in your vampire deck, play it for a year, and then make a little note to yourself to check on it a year later, and you'll be pleasantly surprised when you got to play it double sleeve for a year and then sell it near mint a year later for twice what you paid for it. Yeah, this is also an excellent reason why uh, this will be a demonstration of how it is always a winner to... Uh, get the good foil versions of things for your commander decks so that you can go forth and do cool things. You know, later on, it's going to come back and, and be great. Like if you bought uh, yourself a uh, foil extended art Great Hinge early on for 60 or 70, whatever they were at, now you're looking like a genius. All right, so this next one I'm fairly certain has to be a repeat from the last year, but you go ahead and talk about it while I look up and see what the original call was. Oh, biscuits! Really? Uh, I did not check. You're right. I should have. Uh, I like uh, Stormkiln Artist, uh, the uncommon out of Strixhaven. Uh, right now, you can get copies for around four bucks, and I think they're going to go up to ten sometime in the next year. Uh, it's already in thirty-four thousand commander decks online. It's got uh, not a huge supply left, and it's selling at an amazing rate every day. If you look at the velocity, like uh, you look at the the sold copies you're going to see that it's got you know a whole page of listings every day people love this card because you cast a spell you get a mana back you care if it's an artifact you know you get all kinds of cool synergies going on and there's only one foil to choose from so that's where uh, i want to be and now you should tell me when we have picked this card before because i i was a bad monkey and didn't check yeah travis picked this cast episode 295 october 26th so we won't make an official pick this week but it is worth highlighting um if at least as a case study to where things have gone since he touched it last the shortly after his call 
these got up to six bucks or so and have since fallen off back towards three. So you can think, you can imagine that that's a speculator driven spike heading into the holidays. And then people were dealing with other things, primarily Neon Dynasty related specs. And the card has fallen back towards what he originally called it at. He was calling it three to 15 within 12 to 18 months. You're basically making the same call. And I think it's also accurate. One of the things about this is it's an uncommon from Strixhaven. And so there are no fan extra fancy versions outside of what we've got. Uh, we're still within a year uh, of its release. So a reprint of any kind is fairly unlikely, especially as a foil. I would imagine this is the kind of card that will end up in a secret layer at some point. It seems uh, well suited for that. But that could be anywhere from one to five years from now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And it's good to know that uh, Travis and I think are like 20 weeks apart. Alrighty, so uh, we'll, we'll strike that from the official log, but we're good to go there. Um, and then I've got, we, we said that the Manamo School at Water's Edge uh, Mystery Booster Foils would be an honorary pick, so we'll replace one with the other on the sheet. And then my last selection of the week is Wedding Ring Extended Arts. This is a card that our, the Pro Traders got very excited about in the fall, and it got indeed got driven up right up to about $43 in middle of November. Again, I think highly a speculatory uh, swipe at the card on the basis that these are actually pretty hard to find because they are a commander card from the decks uh, uh, for Crimson Vow. But the extended art versions are only available in the Crimson Vow collector boosters. And as a mythic Vok card, you have to open quite a few collector boosters to pull one of these out. So... Speculators go hard at it, and then their their attention wanes, and the price falls all the way into mid-January, and it's been pretty stable in the low 20s ever since. So I think now is the time to be looking at this. You know, you've gotten a few months to let it cool off, but it's destined to see an upswing. I've had this played against me multiple times in Commander. It's always been good, um, especially in Brea, Osgear-style decks where they can copy it and give copies to other players. And then anytime anything good happens for those people, it happens for the, the original caster. So far, it's in 2,900 EDH rec, 3% of all white decks. That's solid, not amazing. But it's looking at, there's just 56 less listings left on TCG Player, um, which is more, for instance, than the Fractured Identity Secret Layers and the Memory Deluge uh, Foil Extended Arts, but still fairly impressive given that this has only been out for less than six months. And there's a pretty steep ramp. That's the more interesting part. You can get copies in the $20 to $22 range, uh, maybe 10 or 15 copies like that. Then you're looking at $23, $24. And then pretty quickly after that, you're looking at $30 plus. So I would imagine that give this 12 to 16 months, you're going to see this be a $40 card again, just as we saw it get to in November. That sounds about right to me. I mean, this has got uh, definitely the chops. It had everybody just acting crazy like oh my god this card is the best thing ever and it's true it's very good um it's just uh you know we've seen it go through a cycle we've seen it make our pro traders money already and uh you know i'm ready to see it make people some more money this is a, this is a solid pick i like it a lot all righty so moon right along uh we don't have a pro trader selection this week as we said earlier the arena economy there was some, they did a live stream, uh, I think it was Friday of last week, that did not go particularly well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think is the most generous way to put it. 
They basically told the arena community that they don't have any intention of introducing dusting, which is the process of, you know, destroying a mythic or rare or multiple mythics or rares to get dust, which you could then use to create new rares or mythics that you need. And usually dusting in in games like Hearthstone is done at the advantage of the platform, right? You you may not necessarily, depending on which game you're talking about, get to dust on a one-to-one basis. Usually you know, you're, you're losing some value, but at least you have the option of turning your current collection into different cards. Um, that's not ever been available with an arena. You have a gold and gem-based economy where they want you to spend money on gems um, or buy booster packs directly and then crack cards you need. And I think the, the easiest way to look at the arena economy from the, the top-level view down is that if you're very good at limited, then arena is pretty breezy. Like I, I've I've put zero dollars into arena, and I'm right. a above average drafter, not amazing, but pretty solid in limited. And basically, what I do is I grind uh, a little bit. Uh, you know, when a new set comes out, I'm going to draft anywhere from three to ten times on the back of whatever gold I have in my account at the time, usually just enough to start off one draft. I'm going to chain drafts together, getting rebuys on drafts for some period of time, and eventually I'm going to flunk out. But by that time, I usually have a pretty decent base of key cards from the collection. I use those to play the um, the sealed pool tournaments that we run through MTG Price. Uh, are you currently 2-0 in that, in that, by the way? I currently am, yes. I've, I've got a, a pretty sweet deck. Yeah, I, I'm I'm 2-0-2, so we might play each other soon. Goody. Um, and, uh, and then I've stayed mostly away from Constructed. If you are... Now, if you're a player... And so I had tons of commons, uncommons, rares, and mythics in, in my account um, heading into wanting to play Historic. So I was able to pull together my Esper Angels deck control shell pretty easily from a mix of cards I already had, and then I think I only had to... probably just had to buy some of my land base or something as rares um, with wild cards. But if you're coming from a purely constructed perspective, it's completely different. Because you don't get to draft and get double value from the cards that you acquired through the drafts. You're just looking to put together a deck. And especially if you're the kind of constructed player that switches decks very often, then the system gets very pricey. Because you're buying large chunks of packs usually up front when the set launches to kind of to try to get the cards that you need to build the decks you want and if you're trying to build a gauntlet then you could be spending you know a couple thousand dollars a year on arena um so i i understand we all that like that that's a tricky scenario my feedback on that for players is keep the pressure on wizards but also you know, if you like, if you at all like to draft, get good at drafting first. Focus on that when the set comes out, and then shift to playing constructed a little further down the road. Like obviously, if you're trying to make it to whatever version of the pro tour tour still exists, then you know your scenario is unique. But if you're just trying to have fun, then I think the focus on limited and then use the cards you gain to toy with constructed is probably your best bet the thing that really stuck out is um 
like you can gain um i i haven't played a constructed tournament on uh arena do they have anything equivalent to how focused they are on like you can go infinite drafting either the the best of one or the best of three right is there an equivalent to do that in uh constructed are there constructed tournaments yeah yeah of course but the, okay. the, the 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 problem is that you're getting you're getting rebuys, and if you do very well in an arena open or something, then you get yeah you get like your account starts will will tend to get stocked. But I think like if you're a performance level player that can spike a tournament on any given Sunday, then the arena economy is not really a huge uh, as much of an issue for you because your your value per minute played is much higher than the average player. I'm speaking more to the average player, but the point I'm making is more that. Even even if you can achieve rebuys as say a slightly above average player in the constructed environment, that's not the same thing as getting free cards necessarily. It, it doesn't necessarily give you enough cards to play with. Like inherently, chaining drafts means there's no other input. Right. right. Like if you're if you're a four three or better drafter kind of thing, then you are you're just chaining. And right. if you can pull that for however long you can pull that off, you don't have to put any money in the system. Literally, I have never put a dollar into Arena. Um, but if you're a constructed player and you falter, then you you need your buy-in for the next tournament, and you can't use cards to pay for that because there's no because there's no way to turn cards into entry fees. So uh, I'm looking at uh, I boot up Arena right now, and uh, you can enter a constructed uh, standard event for 500 gold or 95 uh, gems. And you can win if you go seven, if you, you know, you're playing until you reach three match losses. If you go seven wins, you get two rares, one uncommon, a thousand gold. And so you don't... Those, gem- those are wild cards. No, these are just... Uh, oh, random in- rares and uncommons? Yeah, so random, Yeah. So, like, they're only useful if you are close to a complete set. And that's if you go seven wins with only two losses. If you, you know... Uh, seven three, you you can't get to seven three, so it's seven two or six three, and like it's really biased in the 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 way the whole thing is set up towards drafting, and yeah. uh, I think Absolutely. that's um, the the main thing that I I've taken away from being part of the arena economy is that as somebody who loves to draft, this is my jam. Like best of one is an amazing thing, you know. You don't have to set aside half an hour. You can set uh, you know, ten minutes aside and just jam the 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 one while you're standing in a grocery line, which uh, I may or may not be addict enough to have done. So, um, hearing them say that dusting was never going to be a thing doesn't shock me. What I am surprised by is like they they didn't even consider mentioning like, uh, or would it be called? Would you think of it as dusting if you said like, you know, somebody who has a hundred common wild cards from random packs they've won you know you you're you're probably never going to use those so can you like upgrade those into 10 commons or you know like an eight to one ratio whatever the ratio is like if you upgrade those one of the smart things you can do in the arena economy is if you have a bunch of common and uncommon wild cards and you draft one of the smartest things you can do is when the new set comes out you you purchase like trade in your wild cards for cards from the set, from the new set, before you start drafting. Because what then happens is it fills up your vault for rares and mythics faster. 
as you're drafting the same card over and over again. And and as, and and especially if it's a card that is identified with an archetype that you think you're going to draft a lot. So like I've definitely been drawn to the ninja's archetype in Neon Dynasty. So I chose things like the uh, the equipment that can uh, tap sack deal three. Ninja's kumai. Yeah, the kunai. Um, so buy trade in four wild cards for four of those on day one, and then every time you draft it, it's adding to your vault, and and getting you more rares and mythics. Because apparently, according to most constructed players, it's not mythics that are the hold up, uh, or the the gatekeeping. Yeah. It it's not a bottleneck on the mythic side. It's the rares. You you end up needing a lot of rares in in standard and historic decks as opposed to mythics, which doesn't super surprise me because they they tend to mythics tend to be very specialized cards um, by and large, and they don't put they've been very careful not to put uh, super necessary playables in the mythic slot. I think to try to manage the economics of standard in paper. Um, but there there are little tricks that you can do like i like i mentioned about um you know to try to get more out of the wild card system but there aren't there's not a lot like beyond that you've got the watch the daily deals because sometimes you can turn gold into free gold or gems into free gems you should be on top of that for sure you always want to turn the gold into gems yeah but but they tend to be very those are like little minor things that they're just doing so that they can hook you into logging in to check on them you know, because they're hoping that the, the more interactions you have with the platform, the more money you'll spend. The bottom line is they are in a position where they need to satisfy, satisfy their masters, whatever level of executives is issuing the top-down orders in terms of performance for the platform and their expectations for the mid- and long-term performance of the platform uh, on a revenue and profitability and engaged number of users basis. They need it to get to those levels to justify shutting down eventually Magic Online. Because Magic Online's economy is inherently more profitable per user. It's easier It's easier to play Arena Free. Okay, I, I get that. But um, what is... So if you're telling me that um, per user... Magic Online is more profitable. Yep. Why would they want to shut it down? Well, because the the idea is that you could event with a modern platform, you could attract way more users. That there are some percentage of players that just don't want to play on an old crusty platform. I mean, the platform is very old and very crusty, um, to the point where they've handed it off to a third party software company to to handle at this point. And it's very clear to me that on some longer horizon, they absolutely want to get to one platform. Like being on two platforms makes no sense. You don't need to. Sp- you don't want to spend double the money when you can get all the same experiences on Arena. But they want to make sure a that they can that they're not uh, cutting off money for things like EDH and Legacy and Vintage players uh, for formats that they cannot yet support on Arena. Like they just haven't got there. If if they had hyper invested in arena and built all that stuff out, Magic Online would be would have been gone a long time ago. That, that's obvious. It's they're currently straddling the fence because they don't want to spend. They're worried. They're scared to invest the requisite capital to push arena up over the crest of the hill. 
because they're not sure it's going to pay off, obviously. Otherwise, they would have done it already. Um, so they're easing into it over time. I suspect reinvesting revenue that the system, the platform generates. And, and this is part of the argument that the um, hedge fund was making with John Finkel involved, et cetera, is that they feel like the, the arena and magic as a whole, it does not get to reinvest its own revenue and profit um, into its own system because Hasbro siphons it off and puts it towards other projects. Watsy siphons it off and puts it towards other projects. Um, so th- th- there's a lot going on there. One of the big details from the release or the uh, the live stream on Friday was starting with Streets of New Capenna, they will release a wild card bundle for $49.99 containing 12 rare and 4 mythic rare wild cards. But it was pointed out that the price to the $50 price to gems ratio could be about 46 booster packs, which come with just as many rares and mythics or something like it's definitely not a favorable way of building a collection. And, and for me, somebody who never puts money into the system, looking at that as like nebulous wild cards for $50, like you're dreaming. I'll never, I will never, ever, ever buy that. And I, and I would imagine the only people that will will be people that are either addicted to the platform or uh, are competitive grinders on the, on the constructed side and need to have cards now to build their gauntlet, test with, etc. I mean, that's, that's really what it, it struck me as, is that somebody who doesn't want to spend any of the time that it takes to, like, crack the packs, do the thing... Uh, take care of it all and um, you know I I don't see as much like who it's uh, who it's for like because you have to be in an unholy hurry to like if you can buy the 50 packs and get that many you know mythic wild cards rare wild cards then what are you doing you know like what what need is this satisfying that that's already there? And this is honestly, this is the first time they've allowed people to buy wild cards directly. And they put it at such a high price point that it's, it's like, they're telling them you can, if you really want to, but we don't really want you to at all. I think this is much more of an issue for standard players than it is for historic players as well. And I think it's one of the re- one of the reasons that they introduced historic specific cards and that they plan to continue doing that is because of the thing that I've talked about with Travis on cast in paper many times, which is that older formats don't get support because they don't require you to buy buy cards as often. Like there's a it's not just the reserve list that ho- that makes wizards not want to support legacy and vintage. It's the fact that the highest power level formats that have access to all 30 years of cards the number of cards produced per year that will slot into those formats is extremely low. Like total number of new cards that will make their way into legacy in a given year. If you didn't publish modern horizons two <laughs> in that year uh, is going to be, is going to be very, very low. And that's not what wizard wants. Wizard wants you playing standard where you need new cards every three months. And, and that's who this, $50 bundle is targeted to the meta shifts like quarterly 
in standard, they want you to go, okay, well, I play a lot of standard, and that's worth $50 to me. And to get into this new standard deck I like, I probably have some of the cards from prior sets already, but I'm going to need about 12 rares and, and about four mythics. Like, if I'm thinking about my Esper Angels deck in Historic, if I didn't already have the wild cards built up, maybe that's the kind of package I would have needed to finish that deck. And they're hoping that people will look at it as, eh, you know, $50 for as much entertainment as I'm going to get out of deck for a season is pretty reasonable. And honestly, I still do, as much as this feels like a, a quote-unquote ripoff, Magic has always been an excellent value overall. And this is probably an even better value than say buying a modern deck in paper right like people complain about thousand dollar decks in, in modern but if that if you get to play that deck for two or three years with minor changes to it then you know that's cheap compared to many other hobbies fifty dollars for your standard deck also seems like a very reasonable price point i just know i'm not going to play it because i'm not going to get sucked into playing standard <laughs> when <laughs> my my deck my historic deck which i'm you know i'm diamond two or something now pushing for mythic uh i i probably won't need to swap out more than three or four cards per quarter and 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 that's why they're going to keep giving us these i guarantee you that when they add modern to arena it will not be clean modern there will be modern with adjusted cards just like there is for historic or for Pioneer, I, I think before Modern, there's going to be Pioneer, right? Like, that's what they right. seem like. They One of the things that they revealed during the stream was that they're working towards a Pioneer analog. So to, to bridge the gap on Pioneer, Modern's way further down the road. Um, I would guess you might not see Modern on Arena for another two or three years. Because they, they're just, they don't want people playing these formats that don't require you to get card, new cards all the time. So even if they add those formats, they're going to add them in a way where... They're going to fiddle with the stats on Ragavan. They're going to they're going to give you these arena specific cards that don't have paper analogs, so that you have some reason to be acquiring those and giving them more money to play that constructed format. Because the last thing they want you doing is shying away from standard and playing a format with the same deck without putting any money into the system for years on end. You know that's um, the whole thing about. Uh, having a modern light, I always thought that it was going to be, you know, they'll they'll take the hundred most played cards in Pioneer, and they'll put those on Arena and say you can play Pioneer. And I thought they would do something similar for Modern. It's just you know you're having to add a lot of niche cards, and when some new deck pops up, you're just like, how come I can't play this card? Well, then you program up that card for the set. Um, I think. That like I'm somebody who plays zero constructed, right? Um, and I have the the vault progress of seventeen hundred percent on my vault right now, and I've got some ridiculous number of of wild cards I'm never going to spend just because I like drafting. Um, I don't under like they've done a terrible job as somebody who me who plays arena at least every other day. Like I don't know how to get into a standard format or is it alchemy or is it historic or is it historic alchemy? I don't know. And they, they just do a, I can't decide if they're doing a great job getting to the people who would care about this or if they're trusting that people will find out about it because a lot of the arena economy just seems to be, uh, they have a plan 
for getting maximum engagement. You know, you got the daily quests, daily uh, experience, daily gold. And then they want you to just work it out from there. If you've logged in, they've won, is is how it feels to me. Is that commensurate with what you think? I, I definitely don't think that they have a very strong user experience roadmap to pull people into formats they're not already playing. Like, it, it took me years of Arena before even considering playing Constructed. And and you're just a few steps behind me. Right. Like, you, you haven't yet decided that you're interested. I wasn't interested up until two weeks ago. And I just decided I wanted to understand that side of things better. So decided to start fooling around with it. And we happened to be headed up to the cottage for the week. And I knew I was going to have a bunch of time on my hands. The... <laughs> You know, but if it had been a usual busy week, I probably just would have stuck to my usual thing. Do a couple of Neon Dynasty drafts, flunk out, wait to build up the gold with, you know, my grinder, my silly grinder deck that's just meant to get people to quit with Cat Oven. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess the the summary advice is they're trying to game your wallet. So you should just ignore that. And if if you really want to play standard that I don't, I don't think 50 is that crazy to get some stuff to build your deck. Like I think that's a reasonable value compared to other games and other systems on other game platforms. I, I think it's worse. Um, but ultimately I think the value is reasonable. That said, I think you can dodge it entirely. Like you and I both are like you, you don't, if you're a decent drafter, you can be gaming this system pretty reasonably and even if you want to play some constructed, you can slow roll the build out of your deck, and eventually you will have the wild cards necessary. I, I think it's mostly a problem for the people that are want to be up to the minute in a in a given standard meta, etc. And for them, I understand the frustration. Yeah, it's really hard to have. Uh, you know, Magic Online is much better for that. But um, if you want to have that experience of I can play any deck and i can switch to the new deck uh that's going to be a uh, a thing that that arena is not there for you on all right well, i guess that's a wrap for this week where can people find you online cliff uh people can find me online uh at twitter at word of commander or my weekly articles on mtg price every friday you can find me on Twitter at mdgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mdgprice.com. And I guess you can come play me uh, on Arena and Historic under mdgcritic as well. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mdgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, we'd like to remind you that MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during the checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That is it for this week, James. Thanks for having me on to jabber on about everything. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.